Hi, this is Randall Schwartz, host of Floss Weekly. This week, Simon Phipps joins me. We're going to be talking about Hydra, a way to configure very complex Python applications. You're not going to want to miss this, so stay tuned. Floss Weekly is brought to you from LastPass Studios. Stay in control when it comes to your company's access points and authentication. LastPass makes enterprise-level security simple for your remote workforce. Check out lastpass.com slash twit to learn more. Podcasts you love. From people you trust. This is Twit. This is Floss Weekly with Randall Schwartz and Simon Phipps. Episode 573, recorded April 8th, 2020. Hydra. This episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Now that a lot of you are working from home, it's even more important to choose a VPN you trust to protect you from online threats. For three extra months free with a one-year package, go to expressvpn.com slash floss. It's time for Floss Weekly, the show about free, libre, open-source software. I am your host, Randall Schwartz. I'm back. And <laughs> I've forgotten what else I say after that because I interrupted myself with I'm back. But they let anybody do the show. So uh, uh, today's show is called Hydra. Uh, we're going to be talking about, of course, open source software. This is definitely open source software. Uh, joining me this week is uh, Simon Phipps. Simon, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Randall. Uh, it's uh, good to have you. Uh, you're not back. Actually. You're still in Tijuana. So you're, you're kind of back, but not quite back. Well, I'm in one of the two places I consider home. So, uh, you know, I'd say they say stay at home. Well, I'm staying at home in Tijuana. Uh, I do head back to Portland on Sunday with some concern about uh, my flights, my two flights I'll have and all that sort of stuff. But, uh, you know, you just have to, you know, just go have a run at it. I know that uh, San Diego Airport is practicing uh, um, social distancing in their um, – check-in lines at the security, so I know that I at least have some chance of not being infected. And all the businesses are shut down there, so it'll just right. be me sitting in front of the water machine and taking care of myself there. But I'm currently in Tijuana. You're currently in Southampton, I pres- presume. I, I'm, I'm locked down here in Southampton. I'm in my cabin in the woods. I'm working on my manifesto, and I'll be sending some parcels out later as well. Okay, right. Uh, white powder, maybe? I wouldn't want to comment on what will be in them, but it, it's really right. Easter, so they, it'll probably be eggs. Yes, yes, Unabomber, definitely. Um, so that, yeah, well, whatever. Okay, cool. Um, so uh, t- this, today's project, Hydra, is uh, we'll, we'll have we'll bring on uh, one of the project leads in a, in a few minutes, Omri Yadin. That's probably close, I guess. But uh, Hydra is apparently a way of um, oh, scroll, scroll, scroll. I did that wrong again. Um, it's it's basically a way of – well, actually, we're going to find out from our guest how, what this is actually good for. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the chat room is already saying Project Hydra sounds a bit evil. Yeah, that will be interesting. But it's a Facebook uh, project. Uh, it's about configuring uh, and managing large uh, Python projects. So once again, I'll be out of my league trying to talk about Python when I know almost nothing about it and really don't have any interest in learning. Um, and uh, uh, what do you have? Uh, what do you know about this so far, Simon? Absolutely nothing. I looked at it and I guessed it was some kind of toolkit for the Debian Tentacles of Evil test. Apart from that, I had no idea. Well, it'll be interesting because uh, 
because it's a project from flaw or from uh, from Facebook, it's going to be interesting trying to figure out what the governance for this is. And I'm going to leave that entirely up to you, Simon, because you're really good at drilling into that sort of stuff. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll handle as much of the technical stuff as I can. Uh, and again, given that it's Python, it's going to be uh, somewhat out of my league. But uh, I'm sure I'm sure uh, Omri can um, um, can describe a lot of it for me in ways that uh, even a non-Pythonite can uh, can do other, or no, what do they call it? Pythonistas. Yes, I'm not a Pythonist at all. Uh, but before we bring Omri on, we do have a very important message. Because this episode of Floss Weekly is brought to you by ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is a software that thousands of my fans use every day to protect our data online. Since they started using ExpressVPN, hacking methods have grown even more sophisticated. I'm sure many of you are working from home these days, and without your IT department to protect you from online threats, it's important that you take action on your own to secure the devices you will use for work. That's why I recommend using ExpressVPN for the best online protection possible. I've been talking about ExpressVPN for so long now that you already understand why encrypting your network data is so important. But some of you still haven't acted. Why is that? You might be thinking that security threats don't affect you personally, but not using ExpressVPN is like leaving your front door unlocked every time you go out. Sure, nothing might happen for years, but when a break-in does happen, it's devastating. One of the easiest ways to secure your internet data is with ExpressVPN. You click one button on your computer or smartphone, and you're protected. So my only question is, why haven't you gotten ExpressVPN yet? Visit my special link right now, expressvpn.com slash floss, and get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free with a one-year package. Protect your internet today with a VPN many people trust to keep their data safe. That's expressvpn.com slash F-L-O-S-S. Now let's go ahead and bring on our guest, Omri. Hi. Come, welcome to the show. Good to be here. And where are you speaking to us from? I'm speaking from you from Mountain View. It's Google City also. Yes, yes, yes. I've been to Mountain View many times. I used to work all the time for um, Silicon Graphics, which had the buildings before uh, Google had them. So it was really funny. Um, I got to speak at a, uh, what do they call that, uh, sort of a tech talk. And they, when they took me into the building, they took me up the very same stairs that I would always go up and took me to the place where we would always be, you know, the, the kitchen sort of uh, setup was. It was really, really funny. And I knew exactly where the bathrooms were. They didn't change a thing. So it was, uh, uh, it was like uh, Silicon Graphics had just magically turned into Google. So uh, that was pretty cool. Uh, so give us the 30,000-foot view. What, do I, what am I solving when I'm uh, reaching for Hydra? Um, okay, so I'm going to stop by talking about the problem. I think it's easier to explain what Hydra is by starting from the problem. Um, so I've been working on research uh, at Facebook for quite a, quite a while. I started many research projects, and they all start very simple. And you know, you don't know exactly where you are going, so you are starting to layer on more and more options. And soon enough, you have a, a zoo, a mess, you know, spaghetti of command line options, uh, and it becomes very complex very quickly. Um, sure. So I looked around, and I saw that this is a repeating pattern. This is not just me being a bad developer. I saw that researchers and engineers working on research they have this tendency to create messy code. Uh, that eventually, you know, they work on this code until they are happy with the results. By that time, they publish a paper. The code is so bad they don't want to look at it. They throw it away and start over. Uh, and looking deeper, 
the problem that caused them to create this messy code is in, in a big part because of the, the logic of configuration is spread out throughout the code. And they don't have a good way to isolate the configuration from the code. And configuration here, I'm also talking about command line. So you see like a million command line options. There is no good way to group them together. There is no good way to switch whole groups. Um, so uh, basically, the code is some research code and a lot of glue code, boilerplate code that is like putting it all together, which is not reusable. Uh, so that's the problem. Uh, Hydra is trying to solve this problem uh, by allowing um, the application to compose, allowing the user to compose the configuration every time that they run the application from multiple configuration parts. And also to override anything in that configuration uh, from the command line. Um, it also has a bunch of other features that are not as critical, uh, like logging configuration and working directory management and tab completion. But you know, the, the core of the functionality is composing the configuration uh, for the user. And we can get in details about what this means exactly. So uh, I understand that uh, Hydra came out of the machine learning uh, arena, or is it only suited for machine learning? So that's true. Hydra, I, I developed Hydra to solve research problems. But and at the beginning, I thought about it as some kind of experimentation framework. Uh, but it evolved into something much more general purpose. Uh, and I don't think of it as something that is only for research at the moment. It's very suitable for research. So I can definitely, I, I hope to see it getting picked up by other domains, uh, like web development, they also have configuration needs, and um, microservices, and all sorts of domains where you have complex configurations, they can all benefit from this. Uh, so this is not just for research. Is this uh, also only really managing Python projects? At the moment, this is a Python project. The problems that it's solving are not really Python specific. Um, I'm not planning at the moment to have a, a port for C++ or any other language. In principle, it could compose a configuration, and then you just you know maybe pass it on to another language somehow, like through the file system or through some other means. Uh, so you could you know, get Hydra to compose the configuration for you and just execute the process of whatever language and pass the config in. So you can do that. That's kind of a low-hanging fruit to get access to this kind of functionality in other languages. At some point, maybe we will have more native support for other languages, uh, but not nothing planned at the moment. This is, this is already a, keeping me busy. And, and, and how did this get started? Um, I started to work, I started to port, let's say, a research project from TensorFlow to PyTorch. And that research project already had a lot of complexity. Uh, it's a model-based reinforcement learning framework that I ported. And uh, that's, you know, it's fancy words. It doesn't really matter. It just means that there is a lot of complexity there. And by complexity, I mean, you have dimension, dimensions of configuration. And this is not a problem specific to research. So as an example, you have in a you know, standard 
traditional application, you might have two different databases that you are talking to, two database types with two different drivers, maybe two different usernames and password sets, etc. So this is one dimension. Another dimension can be um, your website that you are working on at the moment. It's a, maybe it has its own configuration. So you can have multiple dimensions of configuration. And that project that I worked on, from the beginning, I knew that it had you know, maybe 100 combinations of things. Right? And I'm looking at it from the top. It has maybe 100 combinations. And the code there was not good, in, not flexible. It was just a lot of hard coding for those combinations. And when I ported it, I wanted something better. I wanted to be able to compose the configuration and override everything from the command line instead of having a lot of code to deal with this. So this is how it started. And that project, you know, the framework that I built, we used it internally. And it was good for what it did. But the problems that it solved were general. And we wanted them, the, the solutions, we wanted them in other places. This is how Hydra was born, basically. We, I took out this kind of functionality that was baked into that framework, and I pulled it out into a standalone project. Okay, and is this, uh, how many contributors do you have to this? Uh, contributors is a is an interesting world because in GitHub land, everyone that is sending you a, a typo fix is considered a contributor. So I wouldn't, you know, like 20 or 30 people, but this is really not real, you know. In terms of people that are actually working on it, I'm working on this full time. I have several people that are working on it, you know, part-time helping me with plugins. I'd say you know, under five people contributed meaningful code so far. Okay, and uh, is this something that is being adopted outside of Facebook? Yes, so I open sourced the project in October last year, so it's really new. They started the project as a project only like three or four months before. Um, so since October, I can already see on GitHub about 60, 66 or 70 repositories right now reporting dependency on the project. Most of them are small, some of them are toys, but I can already see some significant frameworks that are building on it. Uh, machine learning frameworks usually, but not only. I can already see some significant usage. And obviously, I don't know what's going on in, inside companies. I, I don't have visibility into that, but I'm, I'm already starting to see and hear that it gets adopted. Uh, NASA has an open source project that is using it, for example. Uh, but I also know other companies that are trying it out. And I'm sure Facebook had a way of doing this before Hydra came along. Are there other competitors inside the company then that are still in heavy use? I, I don't think that Facebook had a way to do it, not really. I mean, Facebook. For production, we have some solution for configurations. But the needs of productions are different. You need more code review on the config, and you need you, you just have different needs. Uh, it's not the same kind of agile. You just work locally, and you can compose whatever config you want on the fly. Um, so there aren't really uh, competing solutions inside Facebook. Um, and honestly, I'm not seeing anything with this feature set outside as well. There are some. There, is, there are some projects that has some kind of overlap with a, a subset of the features, uh, but I'm not seeing anything that is quite tackling the problem, especially not the composition part. Okay, um, let me look at my list here to see. Um, so is it uh, only for research? 
So we, we've touched that. Uh, no, it's not only for research. This is something that is general purpose. I have plugins. Uh, we can talk about the plugins later, but plugins are allowing, uh, as an example, running to AWS or things that may not be interesting for general purpose, but are interesting for research. But the core of Hydra is very, very generic and lean and appropriate for other domains. Okay. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Um, uh, so where where else would you like to see Hydra used? Um, one, one of the areas that I hope to see is cloud orchestration. So people that are deploying large cloud deployments, they have a lot of complex configuration. They have, they're using multiple tools to do that, uh, Kubernetes or uh, some other tools uh, that all have different configurations. So they have like a, a world of configuration that they are dealing with at the same time. And with Hydra in principle, you could build a framework that would unify all of this into a single configuration, uh, making it much more easy, standard to deal with all of this. So I really want to see some frameworks built for cloud orchestration. Also, web development is another domain with complex configuration. You're conf configuring your application, your web application, at the web server at the same time. So you have, you have two configurations at least. And maybe you have multiple web applications inside your web servers, and now it's even worse. So this is another domain. So there could be other areas like this um, beyond research. So I'm interested to understand what's involved in, in contributing to the project, Omri. Uh, Licensing-wise, looks like you're under the MIT license, is that right? Yeah. And uh, it looks like if I want to contribute, I've got to sign a CLA, is that correct? Yeah, this is standard for Facebook, uh, just because you know Facebook doesn't want any legal issues with contributed code or IP issues. Right, right. And uh, so is that CLA you've got there, that gives Facebook rights to uh, use the contribution that's made in any way, is that right? Yeah, I believe so, but I'm not a lawyer, right? The CLA, is, I think, is very clear. Uh, it could be a bit broader than what you would like, but, you know, this is the tension between a corporation that is doing open source and, you know, the needs of individuals. And it's a choice that you have to make if you want to contribute, if you're okay with that CLA or not. Right, right, right. So you look like you've had about 260 pull requests over the life of the project. What sort of spread is that? Is that from um, uh, other Facebook users? Who are the biggest users of this? So obviously I'm developing it with pull requests. So a lot of those pull requests are my own. Um, in terms right. of what you're, I think what you're asking is about external contributions uh, or contributions by other people. So most yep. of the contributions are mine, right? There are, it's a new project. Uh, even internally, you know, I don't get a lot of help yet, but I'm starting to get help. Uh, there are a few contributions that are significant. One is a, a new Joblib plugin that allow you to use Joblib, which is a different project for parallel local execution. So you, you, you install the plugin and suddenly you can run your application in parallel multiple times. So there is a feature called multi-run, which is uh, built in the, into the code that allow you to run different combinations of configurations at once, at, at the same, or from a single command. Um, so that plugin is allowing you to do this in parallel. We have internal plugins uh, that does that too, but those are not open source yet, uh, or will not, it depends. Uh, so this is allowing the community to benefit from similar things. And this is a co right. completely someone from the community contributing this plugin, you know, 
I worked with that person back and forth for a week or two, and it's a significant, it's, I think, 500 lines commit, which is, you know, I had a lot of questions and a lot of requests from that person. It was a significant time investment for him. Yeah, I think really what I was trying to get to was uh, who else is using, who, who significant users of the code are. Um, mm -hmm. And, uh, I, you know, I would expect a significant user of the code, given that it's a development tool, to uh, make pull requests because they would be improving it as they deployed it. So that that was what I was really trying to get into was was yeah. you know, who are the who are the actual significant users of the code. Um, in terms of adoption, most of the adoption is inside Facebook AI research at the moment. I think right? I don't have good visibility into what's happening in the world. Right? I'm not sending calling home or anything for the project. You know, as tempting as it is to know who is using it, uh, I'm not doing it. So what I can see inside Facebook is obviously. Primarily researchers and engineers working on research. Outside, I'm seeing a lot of students, PhD students that are working on research, also building on it. I'm starting to see some companies picking it up, as I said. Uh, there are some larger frameworks, uh, NLP frameworks, natural language processing, computer vision frameworks, um, point cloud frameworks. Point cloud is for self-driving cars, mostly, that are building their frameworks on top of Hydra. Um, is that, does that answer your question? Uh, kind of vaguely, you know. I was uh, when, when when people talk about a, a project having a community, I, I like to try and find out who the community is, and uh, uh, so I was really trying to explore around there and try and work out who 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 it is that's been willing to sign the CLA. It turns out that uh, the two of the two hundred and sixty pull requests, most of them are people who have signed the CLA because they're Facebook employees. So, uh, you know, I'm trying to mm. work out if yeah, that's no. having any impact. I think, first of all, I don't think you, you have 260 people signed the CLA. You have maybe 30 contributors there. But most of them are not Facebook employees. Most of them are just people, you know, I don't know them. Right. You can yeah, check so on GitHub who are the contributors. contributors. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, GitHub doesn't really help you to diagnose who, uh, who contributors work for very easily. So. It takes mm. quite a lot of digging to go find that out. So I'm, I was assuming that you 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 might know. Uh, I see 67 repositories depending on the code there. So uh, and there's mostly different organisations. So I'm guessing those are mostly individual projects rather than uh, community projects of one kind or another. Uh, what yeah, did you base this on? Is, is is this all your own code that's uh, that started from scratch, or is this based on something else? This is. Okay, so as I started to work on the original project, I didn't know that I was doing Hydra. I was working on the project that was you know, aimed to be open source at some point. So early on, I saw that there is no good solution or good enough solution in my mind for low-level configuration that it can be composed. So I started a new project, open source, under my own name uh, called OmegaConf. And Hydra is building on top of OmegaConf. So OmegaConf is a, you know, my project. It's not Facebook's. Uh, it's a self-contained, very low-level configuration library, and some people are using it directly. And this is more or less, you know, that project depends on PyYAML, which is yet another very low-level YAML, very popular YAML library for Python. Uh, and that's pretty much it. It does not have any other dependencies. So Hydra is all of my, all of it is my code. I would say it's it's building on top of OmegaConf, which is mine as well. So I control the entire stack, up to PyML. 
And the, in terms of plugins, they can have all sorts of dependencies, right? I don't, I don't limit that. So a plugin can pull in PyTorch dependency or some hyperparameter optimization framework dependency or whatever they need to get their job done. So uh, I'm interested in what this actually looks like to use. Are you building configuration files? Are you writing Python code? Um, uh, are, are you doing both? Uh, what's, what's it like to use this? So if you look at the, at the website, you can see that the first examples are very, very simple and small. And essentially, you decorate a function with some high domain. That function now takes a config object, and you are done. And by done, I mean that you can already start to pass in arbitrary configuration or build arbitrary configuration from the command line. Obviously, you also want uh, config files. So you can start to place config files in a specific structure next to your code and use compose from those config files. Uh, from the user perspective, there is, no, there is no file involved to get you the config file, the config object. You're getting a pro, an object that is the done object. I'm saving that config object to the file system just in case you want to look at it later. Right? What does this run to? Uh, so it's kind of both, but the, the part about file system is kind of optional. This is not mandatory for the operation of the system. Except, you know, I read the configurations or configuration files from the file system or from other places, and I construct this object that is a combination of them, and I give it to you to use. And how much of the how much is of this is tested? Oh, it's extremely tested. <laughs> uh, I, the testing is uh, is dear to my heart because this is a low-level project that I'm. People are building on, and it's extremely important that I don't unknowingly break things. Uh, I can tell you that OmegaConf itself, which is a fairly small library, right? I would say under three or four thousand lines of code now, has almost thirteen hundred tests. So that's for the low-level project. And Hydra adds maybe right now in its current form maybe another eight hundred tests. So this is extremely well tested. I'm I'm testing. Everything new is getting tested. I'm testing use cases uh, and how people are using it. This is all tested, so I'm not, you know, unknowingly breaking anything. Oh, I hope and, I don't. And are you working live in the GitHub that's public, or is there an internal uh, Facebook repo that gets mirrored out to the one on GitHub? Yeah, that's a good question. I'm working live. You know, most Facebook projects that are open source, most of them are as you say, are working on an internal repositories and are being synchronized out. Uh, and this is good for you know, Facebook projects that are used uh, internally primarily. With Hydra, I knew that it had to be open source from the beginning. And the reason is that uh, researchers would not want to use it internally if they cannot release their code. So from day zero, I knew that this has to be open sourced. So I didn't want to go through the hassle of having it internally. So the source of truth is the GitHub repository. I'm working there. You can see what I'm doing. You can see what I'm planning, and it's all there. And periodically, when I have a release that is good and stable, you know, I would have this synchronize it in. Are you driven by uh, PRs that are on the? Uh, I mean, not PRs. What am I thinking? Uh, what are they issues. called? Trouble tickets on GitHub. Issues. Are you are you driven yes. by issues there? Yeah, so I'm driven by issues. Most of the issues are issues that I created, but there are some community issues. 
uh, obviously, and some of them are actually coming with solutions as well, uh, pull requests. Uh, Hydra is very easy to use, but it is a fairly complex project inside, so I'm not seeing many contributions to the core. This is kind of danger areas people are afraid to touch that, you know, it's, it's not simple code. Uh, but I see, I do see bug fixes, uh, and I do, do see plugins. Plugins like Green, Greenland, you know, uh, everything is open and it's your stuff. So people are more kind of happy to contribute a plugin so far. Well, given you're the smart dude about this, do you provide support for the people that get lost? Of course. Uh, I, I really, really want people to to use it and to success to be successful with it. So I, I have a, a chat a channel, and I'm. People that ask questions, you know, I answer those questions. I try to get in touch with them on the chat, just if they have some more, um, you know, uh, if, if there is need for more interactivity in the questions to, to answer their questions. So I do, I do provide support, um, at least for now, as the project is growing. And I'm hoping that, you know, the community will start to support itself, but the project is still young. And I'm still, you know, supporting people. And you've talked about this, uh, I think you said Omega, what is it, Omega Comp? Yes. No, okay. Have you, um, so so that's a, a portion of the code. Is that an upstream uh, project? And have you found bugs in Omega Comp and passed those back along to the owners of that project? So I'm the owner of Omega Comp. Oh, okay. Uh, so yes, yes, I found bugs there and I fixed them. Uh, the, the two projects are, are uh, Hydra is depending on OmegaConf, and OmegaConf does not care about Hydra. So, um, okay. as I'm finding new use cases inside Hydra, some of those use cases are addressed in OmegaConf. It really depends on the what, what is exactly the problem, and is this generic enough to be in the core level, core library? So, what brought you to open source in the first place? That's uh, a good question. Um, All right, my first good question of the day. <laughs> oh, no, you had many good questions, but that's a particularly question I did not plan for, and therefore it's good. <laughs> uh, I've been an open source user for many years. Uh, I've been a software developer since you know, 20 years now, and you know, mm -hmm. I worked a lot of, with open source software. I had multiple projects before um, that are open source, and usually the reason is that um, if the project is low level enough and people want to use it, then you know it has to be accessible to them, and this is why you want them to. If this is why, primarily you want to have an open source project. There's also the com community kind of feedback that make your project better. Did you, Did you ever work on a project that was, uh, as we unfortunately like to call it, uh, open core, where there was like an open source component to it? but the real meat was in stuff that you had to pay for around the, the periphery. No, I've never worked on anything like this. Uh, Hydra is, I would say, 95% open source if I look at the internal plugins. Now, if internal plugins are small and they're adding functionality that cannot be, they're depending on internal things, so they cannot be exposed. Uh, I'm expecting other companies to, that are adopting Hydra to also have their own plugins making Hydra more kind of native to their own environment. Uh, inside Facebook, we already have at least two clusters of compute, maybe three or four clusters of compute. And already you see that there are multiple environments. And to support all those environments at the same time, you need some kind of a plugin architecture or some kind of abstraction there. Um, and it's not different than one we see outside. So if I'm 
a student in some PhD student in the university, you know, my environment is my computer and maybe AWS for uh, remote execution. Uh, if I'm in Google, my environment is whatever they have inside and maybe some internal cluster as well. So this is all similar, but it, the, the details are different. Um, so everyone will have, I hope, different companies will come up with their own kind of bridge, bridging code that will make it easy to transport the code that the users are writing between those environments more easily. Okay, uh, and uh, since you mentioned plugin, uh, we haven't had a chance to uh, actually talk about what a plugin is and what it can do for the system. I have uh, uh, multiple types of plugins, and uh, uh, I think the most, the one, the one that I mentioned most so far was the launcher. Uh, it's basically you have the ability to launch your application. So the most simple launcher is just running it inside the process. You know, it takes a batch of jobs and run them one at a time. This is the basic built-in one. But you can imagine that you might want to run them in parallel. So this is the joblib launcher I mentioned. Okay, so now you can run multiple jobs locally in parallel. Uh, you can imagine that you want to run those jobs on some kind of cluster, be it an internal cluster in Facebook or Google or AWS. So we are working on an AWS plugin, launcher plugin now. Um, so that's, that's a launcher. A launcher is basically taking a list of equivalent of command line arguments for each one of those instances of the job and run them all. Uh, there is another kind of launcher, which I call sweeper. And sweeper is from the terminology of parameter sweep for machine learning. This is just a fancy way to say, I want to try all combinations. And all combinations of what, the user tell you. As an example, in a build system, you might want to try to build at the same time, release, debug, Windows, Linux, and Mac. So that's six combinations. Right, to release the bugs for three, op for three operating systems, let's say. Uh, so you might want to do it with a sweep. So you, you specify in the command line, I want to build optimization mode, release, comma, debug, and target or operating system, Windows, Linux, and Mac, and then it would run six jobs for you. Uh, so a, a sweeper is the logic that is doing this, then it would run six jobs. Okay. Uh, there are other sweepers that can run more than six jobs. Uh, one, one of the... I have two plugins for sweepers right now that are doing something that is called hyperparameter optimization. Uh, you tell the application, basically, if you think of it, you have a function, be it some kind of mathematical function or any function, it has a return value. You want to minimize or maximize that return value, and you, you, tell it, you give it some inputs. And you, you can describe the range of the inputs, and it will look for the minimum or maximum for you. So this is a hyperparameter optimization. You are basically looking for the best uh, values in the range that you described. So I have two such plugins using two different um, hyperparameter optimization toolkits, uh, X and Nevergrad, AX and Nevergrad. And these are two different plugins to do this kind of thing. And this is very useful for machine learning research, but you know, maybe other people will find it useful as well. So these are the sweepers. Uh, some other plugin types that I have. Um, Hydra has tab completion. And tab completion you know, is specific to the shell. So at the moment, I only have tab completion for Bash because it's the most popular. But I definitely, it's a plugin architecture there as well. So I definitely hope to see someone comes up with a plugin for Z-Shell or Fish. Um, cool, cool. Uh, we have a great question in the chat room. Judge Obadancer asks, uh, let's see, you, you said you could configure the app and the server at the same time. 
would I be able to instantiate an app and at the same time configure the server to provide REST or RESTful functionality uh, to the user, but configure the server not to provide specific REST services like update, delete to a specific user? This is really application application logic. Uh, you could configure, imagine that you can configure a config to do, and uh, you can compose a config to do what you want. That could include telling the server what to support and what or what not to support. This is really, you know, you can configure the server to do anything that you can express in your config. Uh, and the, one important aspect of the configuration is that is hierarchical. So you can have an, a node in that config that is describing what the server should do, what port it should listen on, what uh, what uh, you know, uh, HTTP method it should support, and you can also have another node that is describing your application. And those two nodes are independent, although they could have you know dependencies between them for some interpolation. You can kind of have pointers in the config, but this is a bit more advanced. I and, is the, the and the configuration language, is it something like JSON or YAML or something like that? OmegaConf is more of a data model, uh, meaning you create an object. Now, you can, use, you can create that object from a dictionary in Python or from a list of dictionaries or dictionaries of lists in Python. You can create that object from a string of YAML or from a YAML file and maybe from a JSON file at some point, YAML is supporting JSON. Uh, you can also create that object from a data class in the next version. This is a standard Python class, and you can com convert it to a config object with everything inside. So YAML is just one way to create those objects. Uh, this is the primary way right now. Most people are using YAML to, to define the config or to define the configuration. Uh, elements that they are composing with. But this is changing or it's extending now to to data classes to support type safety. Um, okay. Um, let's see. I want to make sure I've got all the questions that are on your list before we have to let you go. Um, can Hydra be used in standalone applications? I don't even know what that would mean. <laughs> okay. So this question is maybe not well phrased. Uh, the, the normal usage of Hydra is in a standalone application. Uh, this means that you have your application, you annotate your function, you, and you use your application, and the Hydra is helping you. Uh, there are other modes uh, that are very important, and I think the more important one is a framework. And in a framework, you are creating an application. You are creating both a library for people, and you're also creating an application that allow them to do things. And the framework could be, typically I'm thinking about machine learning frameworks, so it could be, there could be a framework for a computer vision like Detectron or some other frameworks. And those frameworks, beyond the library code that they're providing, they can also provide configurations for people to, to compose with. So this is something that, as a framework, I'm allowing them to expose, export those configurations. So other applications that are using the frameworks can suddenly integrate with the frameworks in a much better way. Uh, this is a bit, uh, you, you need to see a framework to understand the limitations of those frameworks. Basically, they, they give you their own main, and you know whatever it does is what you get, unless you go and use the, the code. So there is very, very different a very, very big difference in the functionality that you get if you use their main, which is doing what it does, or if you use the library directly. And not all of them are written well enough to have a library. 
So it, it, it can make the life of such frameworks much easier because it, a lot of the things that they're already solving can be solved in a standard way with Hydra. Right. So I'm interested, Omri, uh, how do you find uh, doing open source at Facebook? Is it something Facebook is uh, encouraging you to do? Facebook is absolutely encouraging me to do this. Uh, I, I initiated this project uh, from the beginning. I said I want this to be open source. And I went through the internal open source review process. Uh, the only pushback I got was at some point was the name, uh, <laughs> which I pushed back on because I think Hydra is a good name uh, for that kind of project. I am um, encouraged. I'm not meeting resistance. Right? This is this is me doing what I want. I don't. Uh, I'm, I'm I'm doing exactly what I want. Here. Right. right. And so you said this was based on code you originally wrote. So. Uh, you you still presumably own the code that you originally wrote, and then Facebook owns this because it's a, a byproduct of your employment. So that's a good question. Uh, when I started OmegaConf, there is a program inside Facebook called Hack on Your Own Time. So I, I you know, this is not me kind of being sneaky. I said, okay, I have this project. I want this to be open source. It's my project. I'm going to be using it inside Facebook, you know, for this model-based reinforcement learning framework. But this is my project, and I got an okay, yes, this is your project. And Facebook is now depending on my project, just like it, it's depending on a lot of other open source projects in the world. You know, Facebook is is a, not only a big contributor of open source, but also a big user of open source. So we are right. using this open source project as well as an open source project. I'm having two hats here. I am a Facebook employee using that project, and also the project you know, developer. Right. Now, I'm quite interested to see uh, that you, you have the project on Open Collective asking for donations. So, so why are you doing that um, as a Facebook employee? Yeah, uh, another good question. Uh, this is not for really to collect money there, but sometimes, and I, I did see a few cases where I wanted to give money to people if they have expenses, uh, one expense could be they need to run an AWS account for a while to develop something, or they need to use to pay CircleCI to get to do some testing or something like this. And I, in order for me to give the money, it's easier if there is you know some kind of organization that is helping with that. And this is this open collective. So at the moment there is no money there. If someone wants to contribute money, I'd be happy to take it. You know, put it there to help. When I do need money, I will ask Facebook to put some money there. Uh, when I do need money to support the community for whatever. I will ask Facebook to put some money there and this will help me kind of manage this. So Reverb Mike uh, asked the question uh, in the chat room, uh, one of our normal joke questions, so you could ignore it if you want, but when are you gonna add blockchain to this? Yes, this is a question I was anticipating. <laughs> Do I have an answer? <laughs> <laughs> Nothing is not predictable. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So you, you may ha you may know that Facebook has the Libra project, which is also blockchain. So I didn't want to compete with those guys. Uh, so I chose not to include blockchains into blockchain into Hydra. So I chose, you know, just give them some space. Okay. Now we're almost out of time. So uh, we've talked about a lot of different things. Uh, is there anything in particular that we didn't get to that you want to make sure our audience is aware of before we have to let you go? I think. Um, let's see. One one little thing that we didn't touch on is that 
as a person that is integrating Hydra into your company, uh, you have the you can build plugins to make it better. You can also influence some kind of defaults that are making sense for your environment. So right. the, the the notion is to reduce boilerplate code. So I don't want people to have to always do some kind of thing, right? To use to use Hydra. So there is a way to create a plugin that would change some kind of defaults throughout the system. Even for your own plugins or for Hydra plug or Hydra defaults, you can change them. Uh, as I mentioned, type safety is coming. Uh, type safety is the ability to get both static type safety, type hints from uh, from your IDE, for example, or tab completion for the config, and also runtime validation. The, the composition is happening at runtime. So. What you put in from the command line, what you put into your config is happening at runtime, so ID cannot help you there. But I'm adding validation, so that will help you catch errors there uh, when you are manipulating the config and when you are composing, when Hydra is composing it for you. So this is coming. This is the next in the next version of Hydra. This is the primary feature that is coming. It's a very big change. I think that's about it. Awesome. And I think I know the answer to this one. What's your favorite scripting language? Ah, so definitely not Bash, and I would tell you that uh, uh, Python is a is, is a very nice language. I've been doing software development for many years, so I'm new to Python. I only started I only started dealing with Python when I started to write MegaConf in earnest. Um, so Python is one of my favorite languages. I I had I had fun with Ruby as well as a language. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay, and your uh, text editor of choice? Uh, at the moment, I'm using PyCharm for most of my development. You know, if I had to, if I have to choose, if I'm being forced to answer if Vim or Emacs, that that would be Vim. Somehow, I'm connecting to Vim more, even though the user interface there is not great. Uh, I, I I use it, you know. Okay, cool, cool. Well, it's been fun having you on. Um, more people are now aware of Hydra than before because. Uh, I have a fairly large audience, so they'll That's be awesome. seeing about this. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> mm. oh, hopefully that's not Corona. That would be that's bad. Awesome. I, thought, I would not <laughs> be able to go home. I'm, I've, I've been holed up here for three weeks, so I don't think there's any way that, uh, you know, because we've only gone out to go to the liquor store and, and pay the gas bill. That was pretty much the two things. Um, anyway, so it's been great having you on. Um, feel free to come back again in a couple of years or maybe a year if you're doing any significant uh, development. Uh, oh, I forgot to ask what's on the roadmap. What, oh, oh you, we've been talking about it. Never mind. It's, we've been through that already. So uh, thanks for coming on, Omri. Thank you for having me. Awesome. That was Omri Yadin, who is uh, the probably the BFDL now for, for Hydra. I didn't realize how, how uh, significant it was. It was pretty much his baby all the way through. Um, uh, what do you think there, uh, Simon? I have to say that it's uh, uh, at the edge of my interest zone. Um, looks like it's a, a fairly thoroughly thought through thing that's um, attracting interest from the people who would be interested. Um, not expecting to see it in my future very much. Uh, what do you think, Randall? Well, you know, it's uh, I, as I said at the top of the show, I'm, I'm not a Pythonista, so I don't really think I would ever be reaching for this. Um, but uh, if it solves problems for people that are related to um, projects they're having in, in Python, I'm sure this is uh, – and it sounded like it had broad application, not just machine learning, although that was sort of the initial impetus, so that was nice. Um, 
And uh, I'm a little concerned that it doesn't have a community yet. I think you and I both uh, nodded heads on that one. Um, so it's not really, it's, it's still really a bit too early in the cycle, but maybe this show will create a, a bigger community about it. Uh, we didn't get into, uh, like, uh, uh, like governance. Like, well, I guess the governance is him. It's whatever he wants yeah, to do. Which, <laughs> on the show. It, it's, uh, it's what I call git governance. You know, people make pull requests and the BFDL decides whether to accept them or not. Um, it's, yeah. You know, to spin it a different way, it's interesting to see this. This is basically a Facebook internal tool community that is uh, working in the open. And uh, in that sense, it's actually really encouraging. Uh, you know, the fact that, they, that there may not be a massive amount of use outside Facebook isn't really so much of a problem. But what is going on here is one of their researchers has written a tool. Uh, his first instinct is to make it open source. It's under the MIT license. Admittedly, it has a CLA, but uh, nonetheless, it's a, a Facebook internal group making their tools available and working in the open. And I think that's something I'd like to see in more corporations that are doing big work. And and also just in a, like a third level indirect, I guess, I learned a lot of my programming by reading other people's code. And the more code that's in the public, the merrier, as far as I'm concerned, because it means you can Google for a solution for something and you'll end up seeing it in somebody's code repo or something like that. I mean, it's, it's, it's huge. It's, it's huge to be able to have access to piles and piles of stuff. And I think it's one of the biggest um, sort of uh, maybe unintended uh, side effect of open source software is that there's now a huge pile of, uh, of uh, code of various qualities. <laughs> I'll just put that because it might not be the best code, but... <laughs> But but at least you can find code. At least you can find samples of code. It's uh, it's it's uh, this would have helped me back in my early days. You know, I, I was luckily I was uh, at uh, I was at some fairly large companies in my early days, and so I was able to see the my fellow workers' code, which was uh, uh, right really helpful, and and the source code to the to Unix v6 and Unix v7 and. So I was able to walk through those, and I figured the people out of Bell Labs were probably smart dudes. So I tried to copy a lot of their styles and strategies. So that was a lot of fun. Anyway, we're uh, we're getting close to being out of time, so I am going to uh, start the wrap up. Unless you have anything else, Simon? No, no, I'm waiting for your wrap up. You know, as they say, I'm not going out much at the moment. Yes, yeah, yeah. You, you got nowhere to go. I got nowhere to go too, except maybe back to bed. I, like I said, I'm dragging a couple hours of sleep uh, last night. So, my when I when I have to wake up to my alarm, I know it's not going to be a good day. So it's uh, it is definitely one of those because I was groggy for the first 20 minutes after the alarm woke me up. So that was not good. Uh, now, hopefully, after having this tea, I'm going to be able to still go back to bed and get some sleep. Um, next week, Pimcor. Boy, Simon, I wish you would have come on this one, uh, or maybe you can if you want. I guess you don't want to do it three weeks in a year, uh, three weeks in a row. Uh, this looks like open core massive. <laughs> so, <laughs> if, you, if you want to play bad cop one more time, uh, definitely Pimcore. Create frictionless, personalized customer experiences on top of your master data across all channels and touch points in real time. Now, given that they're what. Does it use Bitcoin? What? I mean, that would be the that, that's the only buzzword that was missing from that. 
Yeah, I, I know. I, well, when, you, when the opening paragraph on your promotion page has that many buzzwords, first off, the people playing buzzword bingo are going to have uh, a good time. Uh, so make sure you get your cards out for next week. Um, and then following that is XCPNG, which is a turnkey open source hypervisor, because we, of course, need more of those. Uh, contractor. Uh, is a builder of anything and is targeted to be used as a generic API to create, destroy, manipulate your resources, no matter where or what they are. This enables you to focus on what you want to make and not have to worry about the details and differences in deployment. And I was disappointed when I went to the website. It turns out this is Python only. So this is sort of like no matter what or where they are, no, it, only if they're Python. It's like, ugh, ugh. Uh, just added to the schedule. And I'm excited about this. I'm looking forward to this week, um, uh, the, the week that's coming up. Presto. Presto is a high-performance distributed SQL query engine for big data. And what's great about it is it's got an SQL top level, but it can query all sorts of things. Like it can actually sit on top of a MySQL database and make big queries on that. It can also sit on top of a Postgres database or S3 or a bunch of other data sources and use top-level SQL to even pull them together. Uh, this this sounds remarkable. It's distributed, so it's going to be real, real fascinating to see how they got that all to work. Um, I think this... Well, this is under an Apache license, so I don't know where it originally came from. I didn't read that much on the website. Um, NetData, after that, is uh, instantly diagnosed slowdowns and anomalies in your infrastructure with thousands of metrics, interactive visualizations, and insightful health alarms. Um, I know there's probably like a dozen players in this space because it's an important thing, uh, but NetData will be the one we're interviewing then. Uh, I'm still uh, soliciting for more um, uh, projects. Uh, if you go to twit.tv slash floss, you can find my email address, um, and uh, it's merlin at stonehenge.com. Uh, if you have a, a project that you want on the show, we have lots of open slots right after the six of these. Um, uh, so just have them have the project leader or, um, uh, I know, uh, project leader or community coordinator email me Merlin at stonehenge.com. That would be great. Um, and it's also linked from there is the big spreadsheet of the ones that are upcoming. So you can look at the ones we're trying, um, yeah, to get slotted in, uh, the ones that we've had to reschedule because they've canceled, things like that. Uh, so we're working on stuff. We're working on stuff all the time. Um, I think I've said on one of the shows, I put in about three and a half hours per week on this show. Uh, but, but, and part of that is including scheduling, uh, the co-hosts, the guests, um, uh, just, you know, general paperwork, stuff like that. Uh, you can follow us on the live stream at 8.30, no, not 8.30, I can't read, 9.30 a.m. Pacific time on Wednesdays at live.twit.tv. Uh, you can follow us at, uh, at Floss Weekly on Twitter. You can follow me at, at Merlin, M-E-R-L-Y-N, on Twitter. And uh, But really the way to talk back to us or get information from us is to go to twit.community. There is a uh, channel there specifically for Floss Weekly. And in that channel, they create a specific thread for each show as it gets published. So uh, pretty quick, too, after it gets published, from what I understand. Uh, okay, I, I have a very important plug. Uh, I have uh, ZipRecruiter laid off 
I just found out the number a couple of days ago, 400 contractors and 100 employees within the last three weeks. Uh, so I'm competing with all of them for the same jobs. Uh, I am. Um, I do not have a huge savings fund anywhere. Uh, my savings consists of the whatever's in my wallet. So I I I, I will start hitting the wall uh, sometime soon. Um, and I would really appreciate any leads. I would prefer Pearl, and I would prefer remote. And so that should make it fairly easy because everybody's working remote these days. So um, I want to be one of those working for somebody interesting. Uh, I have 27, 28, 28 years of Pearl experience, basically since back to Pearl 1. So I probably know a little bit about Pearl. And some even say, yes, well, Randall, of course, you wrote the book on Pearl. Yeah, I did. I wrote, I wrote the first Campbell book and a bunch of other ones after that. Uh, Simon, what do you want to plug? Uh, you know, compared with that, very little, Randall. Um, I'm uh, in reasonably good shape. I would uh, just draw people's attention to the sign behind me. I'm on uh, Patreon and on uh, GitHub sponsors and would love to have people backing doing this and also all the work that I do at OSI and for open source. But really, go hire Randall first because uh, we need him to, uh, to, to stay fully afloat. Apart from that, uh, you know, all the shows that I'm speaking at uh, are all in 2021, so there's really no rush to uh, get your travel and uh, tickets for those. And uh, I just want to say to everyone that uh, it's very important that you stay safe and that you stay happy and that you stay kind. Uh, and I'm very grateful that you're watching the show now. Uh, Randall. And I'm hoping that I can uh, make it home on Sunday and that they don't stop me at any particular checkpoint. Uh, uh, like I said, I'm still healthy and uh, feeling good and I've been around a person who's been tested negative, so I'm pretty sure we're, we're doing good. Well, it's amazing how many things you can get with Uber Eats down here, and it's super cheap, by the way. Uh, I'm actually <laughs> – it, it is. A huge plate of spaghetti like this like, – like, I'm sorry, i got to hold that up this way – like that is uh, was 60 pesos, which is about $3.00. And I, I, I turned it into like four meals. I mean, it was like – it was insane. Right. So uh, – it seems, um, a, I, seems I a shame you have to go home. Well, I mean, couldn't you just stay there? You're a lot safer there than you are up in Beaverton and Randall. You know, we, we'd all be a lot happier with you staying in the sun and in the place where the Mexican food is good than, than risking going through all those wretched airports. Yeah, yeah, it's um, it's it's. I, I I considered it a few times, but uh, eventually, um, um, I'm, I, I, eventually I'm overstaying my welcome. And well, and it's going to be a it's going to be a one way trip because the uh, there's no way I'm going to come back until after they release the uh, things here. The entire city is shut down, by the way. So all the bars, all the restaurants. I think I said it at the beginning of the show, but mm -hmm. so there's really nothing to do here either. Um, but uh, I think I, I want to go home uh, just just to be hunkered down someplace that's uh, a little more familiar. But uh, yep. well, we'll, see. You, we'll see. And I and I have errands to run too. You know, I have to go to my office at least uh, once every three or four weeks and pick up the mail that's there. And I've got I think a credit card came to me because it said why haven't you activated it yet? And I'm thinking oh it's probably sitting at home. Um, so there's that sort of thing. Um, uh, so uh, I, I just say on behalf of the, uh, the, the the whole audience and the crew that we want you to stay safe and uh, and stay happy. So do take care as you as you take that journey, Randall, because we we we're Absolutely. very concerned. Appreciate that, Simon, and thank you for being the co-host for this week. 
and uh, maybe you'll pick one of those uh, open core projects coming up and uh, help be the bad cop for one of those. So that'll be fun. All right, guys, it has been great. We'll see you all again next week on Floss Weekly.